Good morning. As you can tell, I'm not Tom. You know, I give up about six inches and uh, probably about 17 years. But uh, our pastor is, uh, last week he was in Latham Springs in Texas preaching to about a thousand kids in about a hundred degree heat. So you can pray for him and have sympathy for him at the same time. Now this week he's at uh, Scott Dawson's camp in Panama City, Florida, speaking to about five or six hundred kids. But he'll be back next week. I'm Scott Carlin. I'm executive pastor here at First Baptist Church, and it is always a privilege to to preach. But it, I want you to know, it's always a privilege to hear Tom preach. I love hearing Tom preach. He is a wonderful speaker, but he's an even better pastor and great friend. And so I miss him when he's away. And so, but this morning. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So if you've got your Bible, turn with me to that passage of Scripture. Now, in Luke chapter 19 is a story that you're probably familiar with. If you've been to Sunday school or been to vacation Bible school, you've heard the story of Zacchaeus. But for, but for us to understand the story of Zacchaeus, we've got to go back into chapter 18. And there are two passages of Scripture that I think are fundamental to help us understand the spiritual principles that are found in the story of Zacchaeus. Tom also doesn't wear these. But I do. The first one I want to point out is in Luke chapter 18... And Jesus is talking to a rich man. And we're going to unpack this in a minute. But I want to point out this passage of Scripture to you. And really it begins in the latter part of 24. He said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, then who can be saved? But he said... What is impossible with man is impossible with God. So hold your finger in this passage of Scripture where he says it is more difficult for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now go back with me a few more verses in chapter 18, and I'm going to be read, begin reading in verse 15. Now they were bringing even infants to him that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to them, saying, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. And now read verse 17 with me. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. Now what in the world did these two verses mean? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first one I want to unpack, and that is this passage of Scripture in verse 17 that says, Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. See, there's a childlike quality that we all know that is part of coming into this world, and that's called dependence. When a child's born, they're not born with the ability to take care of themselves. They are totally dependent upon their parents. Now, that is a physical characteristic but you take that physical characteristic and you translate it into spiritual reality and the reality is that you and I must become like a child we have to have dependence on God we have to have childlike faith and simple trust if we're ever going to come to the place where we understand the gospel now now let me back up and let's talk about what the gospel is 
In God's salvation history, when sin entered the world through man, God began the process of redemption. That process of redemption was culminated in the story that you and I know of as the gospel. It's the birth, it's the life, it's the death, it's the burial, it's the resurrection, it's the ascension, and eventually it's the second coming of Christ. That's what the gospel is. When you and I understand the gospel and we believe in the person of Jesus Christ and we depend on him and we ask him to come into our life, we experience salvation, we experience spiritual birth, heart transformation. That's what the gospel is. But there's something about the gospel and and Paul in the book of Ephesians uses this word 13 times. He uses the word mysterious to explain the gospel. See, for you and I as adults... We could spend the entirety of our life trying to understand the gospel and never fully grasp the depth and the breadth and the wonderful expression of God through Jesus Christ. We can plumb the depths and fully never grasp the the intricacies of the gospel. At the same time, a five-year-old, a six-year-old, a seven-year-old could understand the simplicity of the gospel. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall shall come to faith in Christ. That's what the gospel is. The fundamental principle that Jesus is saying in verse 17 of chapter 18 is unless you become like a child, unless you understand the simplicity, the nature of the gospel, and believe and put your faith in Christ, you will not be born again. You will not experience spiritual birth. That's a fundamental principle. Okay? Childlike faith. Simple trust, dependence on God. All right, now let's unpack the next verse. This enigmatic statement that Jesus says, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, in this passage of scripture, there's a rich man. It's a rich ruler. He's probably a magistrate. And he comes to Jesus and he asks a very sincere question. He's not trying to trick Jesus. He's genuinely seeking. He says in verse 18, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man thought that he could observe some objective principle, the law, objective standard. And if he just did the objective standards right, if he could figure out what exactly it was he was missing, then somehow that would qualify him for the kingdom of God. And he totally missed the point. Don't read this scripture and think that it was wealth that kept him from entering the kingdom of God. Wealth was the thing that kept him from having childlike faith and simple dependence. It could have been anything. But for this man, it was his wealth. He's coming to to Jesus wanting to quantify and qualify this subjective experience, this faith in Christ, this simple understanding of putting my faith in the person of Christ and believing and accepting him. He was holding on tightly to the things of the world. And Jesus cuts to the heart of the issue. Because in verse 22, he says, one thing you still lack. You've kept all the commandments. But sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come and follow me. But when the man heard this, he was sad, really sad. Because he couldn't let go. He couldn't 
bring himself to that total dependence, that childlike faith, that simple trust, and really put his faith in the person of Jesus. That's what kept him from experiencing salvation. All right? So we have these two principles. Childlike faith, simple trust, total dependence on God. Getting to the place where you're willing to let go and totally embrace Christ. Those are, those are two principles here. That's the foundation for us as we look at the story of Zacchaeus. Turn with me to chapter 19 and let's read the first four verses. He's talking about Jesus. He says, he entered Jericho. In other words, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. This is the last personal encounter that Jesus will have before he enters into the circumstances and situations that that lead to his death and his burial and his resurrection. This is the last stop before he enters Jerusalem. So he's going through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. Now, (laughs) I want you to understand something very, very important in this story. Don't let maybe your childhood experience in Sunday school or in vacation Bible school let you lose the weightiness of these verses. Zacchaeus was a bad man. He was the poster child for the oppression of the Roman government. He was a chief tax collector. There were three places of the central taxation in the Roman government. There was Jerusalem, there was Capernaum, and there was Jerusalem. There's Jericho, Jerusalem, and Capernaum, and Zacchaeus had one of the big three. He employed a whole array of tax collectors and men who worked for them who were very heavy-handed. They oppressed the people. They took away from the people that which they needed to feed their families. Zacchaeus was hated. He was ostracized. He was cut off from society. He is not a person that you would take home for Sunday lunch. He did bad things. He was a chief tax collector, and because of what he did as as a profession, he was very, very rich. But he was seeking Jesus, and he does something here that is so out of character. It was so unusual for a man of his stature, a man of his position, a man of, of, of what he was involved in, and especially in his culture. Because he ran and he climbs up in a sycamore tree. He does one of the most undignified things that you could ever imagine. (laughs) This is two weeks ago. This is our pastor. (laughs) I was trying to come up with a way to express to you how undignified what Zacchaeus did. And this was the best thing I could come up with. But you see, Zacchaeus' undignified running and climbing up in a tree gives us a window into Zacchaeus' heart. Zacchaeus is developing a heart 
of childlike faith, simple trust, and dependence. He's acting like a child in his seeking Jesus. Because see, Middle Eastern men just don't run. Sheila and I lived in Turkey, in Istanbul, Turkey, for two years when our kids were little. And I had a, developed a friendship with the guy who was a son of our landlord. His name was Ali. And I thought, well, you know, the best way to, he wanted to practice his English. I needed to practice my Turkish, the limited amount that I had. And so I said, well, let's go running. And what I learned really quick was Middle Eastern men in that culture don't run. They walk. So we would get up early in the morning. Instead of running, we would walk and we would talk and share life. What Zacchaeus does was totally out of character. But it reveals his heart. It reveals that his heart is becoming soft and open to what it is that God might be doing. But it also reveals something else. Max Licato in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, he talks about the fact that every single person that comes to faith in Christ deals with three common things. I want to give them to you. The first one is futility. You see, I believe that Zacchaeus struggled with futility. He was the poster child, again, of the repression of the Roman government. You see, futility comes with a first cousin. It's called cynicism. Another way to describe cynicism is defeated weariness. Whenever you face a situation that seems hopeless, and if you face a situation that seems hopeless long enough, what happens that begins to seep down on the very core of who you are is you become cynical. You begin to lose hope. And see, I, I believe Zacchaeus was in a dead-end job. I don't think he ever started out planning as a Jewish good boy to going to Torah school to become a tax collector, but that's what life had given him. And I think he suffered from futility. He knew things couldn't change. You see, you can't go back from being a chief tax collector. He couldn't go back into society. He was hopeless. He was helpless. And the, the weight of the futility and the defeated weariness, I'm sure at night, had just about crushed him. The question that I begs to be asked is, how many of us face futility? Defeated weariness. You face a situation that just doesn't seem to have a resolution. Maybe you've tried and it just doesn't seem to ever seem to solve itself. It may be in a relationship. It may be in a job. It might be in a marriage that seems to have lost its life. And it seems hopeless. It seems weary and you get defeated. And you find that more often than not, you're struggling with this sense of futility. Well, I think there's something else that Zacchaeus struggled with. I think he struggled with failure. Again, I, I don't think he planned on life being like this. I, I think he would lie at bed at night feeling like a failure. Oh, sure, he was rich. Sure, he was powerful. But the friends that he had weren't really his friends. And he knew what they did, and he was ultimately responsible for all the bad things that were going on as a result of the tax collection system, and he felt like a failure. And see, failure also has a first cousin. It's condemnation. And when you face failure, and maybe failure comes to you and me in ways of, 
of financial failure, moral failure, different kinds of failure seep into our lives. Can we just all admit that none of us have it all together? And we failed at different things. Well, when we fail, when that happens in your life, see, the enemy comes and he, he whispers something in your head and it tells you that's your identity. That's who you are. And that condemnation weighs upon you and you feel that and you think others see that in your life and you can't escape it. See, I think Zacchaeus struggled with futility. He struggled with failure. But I think there's a third thing that he struggled with. I think he struggled with fear. See, I think Zacchaeus' fear was just like the fear of the man here that we read about in Luke chapter 18, who asked, what must I do to, inter- to inherit eternal life? There was no way that when Zacchaeus laid in bed at night, that he had any sense of eternal security. Zacchaeus knew because of the lifestyle he had chosen, the things that he had done, and the things that he was responsible for, that there was no way that God was going to take him into his kingdom when he died. He had a fear of dying. But fear also has a first cousin. It's called anxiety. And if you've got anxiety, that's a red light on the, on the dashboard of your life that signifies that there's something going on in the engine. In our culture, in our society, people are full of anxiety. Just like Zacchaeus was. And those anxieties are rooted in fear. You may have anxiousness over being a parent. You may have anxiousness over your job. You may have anxiousness over a whole list of myriad of things. But those all point to a sign that you and I struggle with fear. It grips our hearts. Keeps us up at night. Well, see, Zacchaeus struggled with these things. And, but they drove him, they drove him to this place in his life where he runs down this road and he climbs up in this sycamore tree. And this sycamore tree was probably, it was about a 40-foot tree, but it had these low-hanging limbs. And he could get up there and he thought he could hide. <laughs> but he couldn't. He couldn't hide. And Jesus walks down this road (laughs) seeking to find Zacchaeus. Let's look and read what happens. In verse 5, And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled, for he has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Don't miss this. Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You see, you can't read verse 8 and not understand that the camel just went through the eye of the needle. The impossible happened. I want to show, do you have that picture of the camel going through the eye of the needle? 
Zacchaeus gets to the other side. We know that not because Jesus said you got to give up your wealth. We know that by reading verse 8 because heart transformation that happens in verse 8 doesn't happen without childlike faith, simple trust, and total dependence on God. See, this picture is an absurd picture. But it points to a spiritual reality that Zacchaeus experienced in his life. He was a rich man, yes. But he let go. He let go of the failures of his life. He let go of the futility of his life. He let go of the fears of his life. He let go of the wealth and possessions that he had. And the impossible became possible. Well, I've got three principles to me that fall out of these three passages that kind of connect. I want to give them to you tonight, and they're not on the screen because as I was working on this sermon, I had this sermon before I went to Turkey, and then when I came back, this is the way it happens. It just kind of Lord landed on my heart, and I'm just going to share this with you. So they're not on the screen, but if you can, if you feel like it, write them down. The first one is you can't come to faith without childlike faith. You see, you can't come to faith in Christ without simple trust, childlike faith, and total dependence. It's just not possible. You'll never, you'll never accept the gospel and, and receive what Christ has to offer you in salvation unless you become like a child in your understanding of the simplicity of the gospel. But see, what's necessary for salvation is also necessary for spiritual growth. This isn't a one and done. This childlike faith, simple trust, total dependence on God is what allows you and I to grow in our faith and understanding of who Christ is. If you don't continually come back to this place in your life over and over and over again, you will never understand not only the power of God, but the, the, the way that God can redeem your life and make you whole. You're never going to fully experience all that God has for you until you come back again and again to this spiritual principle. Childlike faith, simple trust, depend on him. Over and over, day after day. God, I don't have it all together. God, I need you. God, my life is a mess. God, if you don't come through for me, I have no other place to turn. See, it's that continual reminder to yourself and to God how desperately you need him that not only allows salvation to happen, but allows for you and I to have heart transformation. Well, there's a second thing. You see the absurdity of the camel going through the eye of the needle. It's a picture that God does the impossible. Do you remember when the angel came to Mary in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, when he came and told her about the fact that she was going to have a baby? And she basically said, well, how in the world is this going to happen? Well, what did the angel say to her? Nothing is impossible with God. See, I think what happens in our lives is so often as we go through life and we 
struggle with futility and we struggle with failure and we struggle with fear, we begin to really don't believe that God can do the impossible. See, I believe that God does the impossible. He does the impossible one for salvation. If you've accepted Christ and accepted him into your life by faith, he has done the impossible into your life. He's brought about spiritual birth. But it never was meant to stop there. He continues to do the impossible, to bring about redemption, to bring about wholeness, to bring about healing, to bring about transformation of heart, of character, of change. See, I believe what Job says in 1925 in the book of Job. He says, my Redeemer lives. And I'm here to testify to you today that God does the impossible. He does the impossible today just like he did in the life of Zacchaeus. See, when we read that passage of Scripture, and so often we can just read over the the unbelievable thing that happened in Zacchaeus' life. But I've seen God heal. I've seen God restore marriages that have unbelievable issues of immorality that happen, and yet he has restored it and brought a healing and wholeness. In my 35 years of marriage, I've seen God do the impossible and do it over and over again. I've seen him bring redemption to failure, financial failure, moral failure. I've seen him put Humpty Dumpty back together again. See, my God reigns. My God lives. My God does the impossible. And yours does too. And that leads me to the third thing. Because you see, on the other side of the needle is Jesus. When you and I come with childlike faith and simple dependence and trust God and depend on God and give him our lives and give him our failures, give him our fears and anxieties, and we, when we entrust, when we let go, and we say, God, we don't have the answers, but you do. Not only do you find him on the other side of the needle for salvation, you find him on the other side of the needle for life. He's there. And if what may seem impossible to you as you think about what this week holds, I can promise you Jesus is already there. He heals. He restores. He redeems. He makes whole that which was broken. He did it in the life of Zacchaeus. But I'm here to testify to you this morning, he can do it in your life as well. Can I get an amen? And I know that life crushes you. I know it presses you down. I know that every single one of us in this room face situations that seem impossible. But I serve a risen Savior who's in the world today. That he's doing just the same thing that he did in the life of Zacchaeus and he can do it in your life and my life. You see, the key to this is really here in verse 10. Don't miss this. After all of this had happened in the life of Zacchaeus, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. That's us. That's your friend. That's your coworker. That's your neighbor. 
That's the person that has a different lifestyle than you that you think it seems impossible that God could ever reach them. Don't, loot, don't miss this. Do you understand that, that Zacchaeus is the poster child for the person that could never be reached? That's what God's up to today. There is no situation that you and I face that God can't redeem. There is no situation of brokenness that God can't heal. I've seen it in my life. I've seen it in others. And you could testify, many of you could testify to stand up here today and say, God can do the impossible. And we forget. We get crushed by life. We're we're all too reminded of our failures, the futility of things that face us, and we begin to lose hope. That's why you have to come back to childlike faith, simple trust, and total dependence on God. You'll never figure this out on a logical, practical way. It doesn't work that way. You got to trust him. It's not, this is not two plus two equals four. This is quantum physics. It's the supernatural power of God that's at work in this world in ways that you and I can't even comprehend. All we can do is observe. So here's the invitation. If you've never accepted Christ into your life, if you've never come to the place with childlike faith, simple trust, and and, and just to, to recognize how much you need a Savior, do it today. But if you've lost hope, if you've struggled with the futility of life, the defeated weariness of life, the failures of life, come back to Jesus and let him go. Go through the eye of the needle once again and say, God, I'm not holding on to all this stuff. I'm giving it to you. And through childlike faith, simple trust, dependence on him, you will once again walk in the miraculous power of God that in somehow, some way, I can promise you, he will work in your life in ways that you can't even understand and imagine this morning. That's what God does. That's what Jesus does. That's what the Son of Man came to do. Would you pray with me? God, we serve a risen Savior. You are alive. You're on the loose. <laughs> you save Zacchaeus and you save, you're saving today. You're making lives that are broken whole. You're restoring You're doing the miraculous. God, give us the faith to believe, to put the things that we struggle with this morning into your hands. God, across this room, I pray that as folks deal with the things that are on their heart, Lord, I pray that they'll come back to that childlike faith, that simple trust, that dependence on you, and say, God, I can't handle this, but I know you can. God, will you touch hearts? Will you heal lives? Will you restore hope that seems to have been lost? Because 
I know, Jesus, that's what you came to do. And you want to do it in this place. You want to do it in this church. You want to do it in this community. You want to do it in this city. You want to bring revival to this land. God, you have not given up on us. But it starts with childlike faith, simple trust, and total dependence. God, let us let go and embrace you. And I pray this in the powerful name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, who sits on the throne and under the Lamb. Amen.